Proverbs 17 is where we are, and uh, I want to stay on track. We worked our way down through verse 15 last time we were together. We're going to pick it up this morning in verse 16, and we'll continue from there. Notice, I'll read, pray, and dive in. Verse 16, it says, why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom, since he has no heart for it? Verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. He who loves transgression loves strife, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. He who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. He who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And so, Father, we thank you today for the verses, this text that you have put before us, Lord. And we thank you that we know that it's all breathed by you, all inspired by you, all your Holy Scripture. And so, Lord, I pray that now you would uh, open it to us, to our understanding, that you would under our, open our understanding to it. Lord, that you would remove the things that hinder us, the cares of this life, Lord, the burdens of this world the distractions that are even in the building on the property. I pray that you would move the enemy far away, that he would have no influence, no ability to disrupt. Lord, that we would hear what you would have to say as you teach us by your spirit, that it would have the, the desired intended work and effect inside of us, Lord God, that we would be continuously transformed to your image, Lord Jesus. And that it would prepare us for the week that is ahead of us. And Lord, we need you above all things. I pray that we would hear your voice now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we dive in, Solomon writing to his children, obviously, um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to them things that would make for their wisdom, things that would help them through life. Proverbs is a very practical book, one that we need. And it continues to yield a lot of fruit for us. And so... Practical things we'll see here, and we'll, we'll, we'll have to deal with them. And, uh, and let's see what he says. Verse 16, why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom? Since he has no heart for it. Very interesting. The purchase price for wisdom, we'll talk about that. But why does the fool have it? The fool shows up to purchase wisdom, and fools try to purchase wisdom. They, they buy them all the time um, at the universities and colleges, and they get PhDs only to to give spotlight to their foolishness even the more. In fact, it's the fool that says in his heart there is no God, and it's the fool that has the Ph.D., the most top-ranked um, scientist in the world that, that cannot look at the beautiful world that we live in and see that there's a design to it, and therefore there's a designer who created it and created them and made them in his image, and yet they reject that through their foolishness because they have purchased so much wisdom, and they hang their wisdom on the wall but it's not wisdom at all. 
uh, Solomon writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is speaking of the wisdom that can only come forth from God and from his word. Amen. And we know that. And if you if, if and I definitely don't want my intention, I should say, is never to offend or be offensive. I have a degree as well. I went to a, a liberal university and a liberal university teaches us how to. Uh, be good at liberalism or the liberal theology of the world. And in fact, what we learn is how to do and perform the things of the world. Um, if you can turn quickly over to Colossians, those of you who can, those of you who don't know where Colossians is, just stay put, write it down and go look at it later. But in Colossians, and I've shared with you, with you before, but in Colossians chapter two, verse eight, it says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy. There's a lot of philosophy and empty deceit is empty, but it's deceptive according to the tradition of men. And notice according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ, you know, and that's what we begin to find at a lot of sources that we may go to for wisdom. And we may go to purchase wisdom in those sources and, and we end up with empty things that are deceitful and never, ever bring us to a place of where we need to be. Um, and this is very interesting. And then I have to warn you as, 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 a, as a representative, a spokesman even for the Lord in this sense, you know, as parents, we have to be extremely careful because often we want our children to accomplish things in this world. And we send them off to these places, these places of higher learning, these liberal universities. But the, 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 the concern is, is that when they go to these places without being grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, what happens is they get stripped of their faith or, 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 or whatever that is, their, what foundation was laid, if it was one, they begin to get stripped from it. I remember sitting there in the classrooms in liberal university where you, where you go to study for some specific uh, 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 training that you're going for. Mine was accounting, but with it comes all of these other subjects that are stripping away at your belief system and trying to re rewire it and turn it into a worldview, if you will, that's based upon empty deceit according to the basic principles of this world. And you literally get stripped of anything that is of God. And unless you're grounded in the Lord, it's hard to navigate that environment. So as we send our children off to these institutions in hopes that they're going to be successful in the world, we got to consider as believers if that's a good idea or not. And I would caution you on it because it may not be a good idea, probably would not be a good idea for you to just send your children off to the higher learning institutions of the world to learn the basic principles of the world without having a foundation in Jesus Christ. They lose everything that we desire them to have because as Christian parents, and by the way, this is a church, this is the word of God, so I'm speaking to believers. So this shouldn't be an offensive topic. But what I'm saying is that as believers, as Christian parents, our, our, our most important, our focus should be that our children come to know Jesus Christ above everything else. There's nothing else more important than that they come to know Jesus Christ. Because once you are in Christ, Christ has the ability to lead and guide our children in the direction that they should go. Amen. And this is what we want for them. How can my child navigate this life by following Jesus Christ, by living according to his word, by being filled with the spirit of God? And this is how they can face the world and be victorious 
more than successful. Be victorious in this world. Amen. And so these are the things we got to understand. And so it's, it's now as we go back to our verse in Proverbs. So he says again, why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart within himself? So the verse becomes kind of poetic because it's almost an oxymoron because a fool is actually not going to have the real purchase price for wisdom because they don't have it. And they don't have the ability to get it yet because they've rejected it. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Kevin? Well, let's think first about what the purchase price or the cost of real wisdom is. Because when Solomon is speaking here, he's speaking of the wisdom of God, which is found in his word. And remember, it's the fool who said in his heart that there is no God. So what's the purchase price? Well, as we've been going through the scripture, remember, we found back in Proverbs chapter 1, if y'all remember there, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, you can glance back just a few pages. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But notice, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So then there's this fear of the Lord that begins knowledge. But then if I glance ahead to Proverbs 9, Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, same similar verse. Notice what it says there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Well, wait a minute. The purchase price is poetic language. What it is, is that it's this, it begins at the place where I humble myself before the almighty God and surrender my life to him, realizing that he's God and I'm not. And that he has knowledge, that he has wisdom, and I don't. And I begin to trust him. And I have to tell you, these verses for me, these are memory verses for me. I've memorized these verses through the years because I'm not the sharpest tool in the bag of wisdom, you know, um, if you will. I'm not the smartest guy, in other words. And so I've had to learn to rely on these verses. In other words, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. So if I lack wisdom, as James says, then I already know where it's at because I, I believe God. Amen. I believe God over man. And so when I lack it or if I need it, if I'm, if I'm in need of wisdom, I know that when I humble myself before the Lord, knowing that he's God, then the things that I, I'm in need of, they kind of come to me by his spirit and through his word. He has a way of reminding me of what the word says and what I need to know about every area of my life. So the purchase price of wisdom is just being humble and, and before God and the fear of reverencing him the fear of desiring to please him and, and not wanting to discipline, uh, disappoint God. These are the things that we've been learning as we've been going through the book of Proverbs. So for the believer, check it out. For the believer, there is no lack of wisdom. It is within ourselves, but we have access to all the wisdom that there is. Amen? Did you believe that? Man, I used to, I used to prove this one on the job too. I, all the time, God would give wisdom in the moment that I would need wisdom for the situation that I was dealing with, whether it was hiring or firing or making decisions or, or working out budgets or whatever it is, God gives wisdom as we need it, as we are walking with him. And if you believe that and you trust that, then you're going to see some mighty things happen in your life, believer, as you're walking with the Lord. This is not a seminar on how to do things better. This is God saying, hey, surrender to me, trust me, follow me, and let me work. That's what it is. It ain't about us. It's about what he can do in us. It's about what he can do through us. It's about what he wants to show us in this life we're living. It's all about Christ. Amen? Our eyes must be on Christ at all times for everything that is before us. 
So it's poetic. Why is there in the hand of the fool the purchase price of wisdom? Since he has no heart for it, he doesn't have the stomach for it because he doesn't want to surrender to God. So therefore, he can't obtain wisdom. He can buy every PhD there is, but he can't obtain wisdom. Now, I hate to spend, I hate to do this, but even within the body of Christ, this verse applies in a similar way. And I hate to say this because there are those who think that they can buy the ministry. They, can, they, they have the time and the money to buy a seminary degree. And they're in pulpits all over the country buying into the woke liberal theology of the day. Preaching junk that they should not be preaching because they bought into the, the theological wisdom of the world. You know, and, and it's very interesting. I would, you know, have conversations with people all the time, you know, and it's unfortunate that in certain denominations, it's about whether you get that seminary degree or not. And so you can, you can have the time and the money to, do, to get a degree, but not be called. And that's a dangerous thing. You can't purchase the ministry. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, glance over there with me really quick. In Acts chapter 8, um, there's a man called Simon the sorcerer who thought he could purchase the ministry. Um, and it's Acts chapter 8, just a few verses, and then we'll get back to where we're supposed to be. But in Acts chapter 8, Philip had been down in Samaria preaching and a lot of amazing things happened. Then Peter, the apostle, and John, they came down to see what was going on and God was moving mightily. And in chapter uh, 8 of Acts, we'll pick it up in verse 18 where it says, And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered money, saying, Give me this power also that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit, because this is amazing. You know, you guys can lay hands and, and the Spirit fall on people, and, and this is amazing. I want to do that too. And notice what Peter says. But Peter said to them, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You can't purchase it with money. So whether it's the world or the body of Christ, the same thing applies. We receive that which he has for us to receive when we humble ourselves before him and we say, here I am, Lord. In, in, in whatever way that you want to work in my life, here I am. It's the best place you'll ever come to. When you come to a place where you're done trying to do things yourself and you finally say, you know what, I'm a mess and I keep messing up, but I'm going to trust Jesus. And you surrender before him and you allow him to work in your life. That's where everything begins. Not before, like everything else that happened was just to get you to that moment where you say, okay, Lord, here I am, I'm yours. And then let the Lord begin to work. And so I love this verse. Why is there in the hand of the fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it? Why does he not have a heart for it? Because he hasn't surrendered before the almighty God and put away self and, and, and say, okay, Lord, you work in my life the way you want to work in my life. I trust you and you only. And when we become when we get to that place, then that's when God begins to work. All right, verse 17. Verse 17 says, a friend. A friend loves at all times. But a, and it says, and a brother is born for adversity. I love this. A friend loves at all times. In other words, um, a real friend, a biblical friend, is not a fair weather friend as we might have. You've heard of the fair weather friends. They're your friends when, when things are going well, but then they're not there. And a lot of people, they grow up and they have to learn the, long, the hard way 
um, that it's easy to have a lot of people around you when things are going good. Remember the, uh, the prodigal son when he had all the money to spend and, you know, he was the life of the party. Everybody was around him. And then when the money ran out, so did everybody else. Y'all remember that, right? Um, but it says a friend loves at all times. You know, remember that that biblical love, agape love, is a love that's independent of the actions of the person whom you're loving. In other words, you, you're loving because you've decided to love regardless of how they respond, and, okay, because that's how love was demonstrated towards us. Remember that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So the picture biblically is we didn't want anything to do with God. We, we, we didn't care about God. That's when he died for us. That's when he demonstrated his love. Okay, so there was nothing about us at all that was appealing to him. Why he did it, we don't really know. But he loved, he decided, he wanted us. So he demonstrated, he initiated his own love towards us by dying for us first. So when we begin to think about love in that respect, that's why a real friend loves at all times because it ain't based on us. It's crazy. A real friend is going to love you because they do. It's not because of you. So then the question then becomes, because reality is we all know in this room that when we begin to think about it in this way, most of us, all of us, only have a few at the most real friends. Now, yeah, body of Christ, we fellowship one with another, but a real friend, you don't have many. And even more so, to how many people are you a real friend to when you really begin to think about these things? Friendship is amazing. In fact, Proverbs 18, 24, next chapter over, you can just glance ahead. But Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man who has friends must, must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So, yeah, I mean, in order to have friends, you got to be friendly. We know that, right? You know, for the most part. But a real friend can look beyond that even. And then he says, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I love this, meaning that true friendship, listen carefully, true friendship, especially I'm talking to believers, I'm talking about to the body of Christ, true friendship is developed through these relationships that are, that are kind of strange and weird and they don't always make sense. You know, within the body of Christ, the people you become true friends with, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In other words, most often that your friends are going to be people that you find within the body of Christ more than you would find within your own blood family. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, most of our friends are people that we know within the Lord. And, and look, the best friend is Jesus. Amen. Notice uh, what Jesus said to us in John chapter 15, verse 13 through 15. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In other words, friendship is sacrificial. You're laying down your life for your friends. And Jesus can say this because he laid down his life for us. And then he says, and you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I've heard from my father I have made known to you. And Jesus says, yeah, you're my friends because you're keeping my commandments or if you keep my commandments. And I'm telling you everything that the father has told me, I want you to know. I don't want you to be in the dark. So Jesus would sit his disciples down and say, look, guys, it's going to be like this. We're going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me. On the third day, I'm going to rise. They wasn't listening to him, obviously. Then he would say, you know, look, I got to leave you, but you don't have to worry. 
I pray the Father, he's going to send another helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to guide you, lead you, teach you all things. And then I'm going to go prepare a place and come again and get you. The last days are going to be difficult. You know, people are going to betray one another. There's going to be false Christ and crazy things going on in the world, you know. But you keep looking up because the day of your departure is going to come. You know, he told us everything we need to know because he's our friend and he wants us to be encouraged. That's the way Jesus is. And so he is the best friend. But, but often friendship, listen, body of Christ, friendship is found in places where we don't often uh, think. You know, uh, you ever watch those shows where you got these animals and you got like a dog and a duck and they're like best friends? <laughs> Anybody ever seen this? Yes. Or like a bird that flies in every day and hangs out with a cat. That makes no sense. How does that happen? Why, do, why is the cat and the bird friend? Why wouldn't the cat eat the bird? You know, why is the bird safe with the cat? You know, why, why the dog and the duck? I mean, I've seen dogs take ducks by the neck before and kill them, you know, but yeah, the duck and the dog are hanging out. Why does that happen? We see that and we wonder. Well, when I look at the body of Christ and my own experience, that's what I'm seeing. I'm actually seeing the spirit put people together in friendship that would never, ever in the world have wanted anything to do with one another. And you see that happen all the time, especially when you look at, at a body of believers that are div diverse in both age, as well as ethnic background, as well as economic backgrounds right here within this room. And, and, and you have young and old people that are drawn to one another and, and different people that are drawn to one another. And God makes these relationships and he uses these relationships to strengthen one, the, the, both parties and the body of Christ is blessed through it. How does that happen? Because it's something that he does. And so friendship is often found in areas where we wouldn't expect. And we need true friendship because Jesus is a real friend. And as it says in verse 17, a friend loves at all times. Because see, a, a friend in Christ that you're drawn to, that you connect with, is someone who is good for you in every way because they're always going to be truthful even when you don't want to hear what they have to say. So they're going to exhort you when you need to be exhorted. They're going to rebuke you when you need to be rebuked. Faithful are the wounds of a what? Friend. They're going to love you. They're going to do all of what they do is going to be good for you because they are a friend provided in the Lord. And so a lot of times I think what we coming out of the world what, what, and coming to the body of Christ, where we miss it is we still want to be divided based upon our tribal mentality. You know, we still want to be divided in whatever kind of culture we're used to and whatever we identify with. You know, I'm a this, I'm a that, you know. And so we still we come to church because we're supposed to come to church. But then we want to go back out into that culture that we think we're supposed to be a part of because that's what we grew up in, whatever that is. And the reality is you're missing Christ when you do that. No, we're saved now. So when we come to church, we're home. So then our relationships need to be fostered within the church. Because that's the best place for us to find real, good, godly friendship. You know, the type of friend that's going to be honest about everything and, and, and whatnot. You know, um, you know, we think that the friend is the ride or die person that drives the getaway car. <laughs> no, that's the person that's taking you to hell. <laughs> the friend is the person that's going to say, no, 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 no. You don't need to be in there doing that. Okay, and, and, and when you come out and you need to get a getaway car, the friend's going to slap you in the back of the head and say, what are you thinking? <laughs> You're crazy. It's time to change from this foolishness, whatever that is that you might be in. Okay, so verse 17, friendship. Verse 18, 
Verse 18 says, a man devoid of understanding shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. And here's a good example of what I was just saying. A man of understanding. He doesn't have understanding. The wisdom of the Lord is absent from this person because they're rejecting that wisdom. So what they do is they shake hands. If you're reading the King James, it probably says strike hands. It's biblical Old Testament language for coming into a agreement or a pledge or surety. It says it becomes surety for his friend, meaning that you have co-signed. You have said, I will cover my friend's debt. Okay. And so you think you're helping your friend but you're only taking, you're only agreeing to go down with your friend. And see, the Bible is very practical and warns us to be careful not to do that because when you do that, you're really not being a good friend. In fact, Proverbs chapter six, if you back up a few chapters, a few pages, remember what it said, Proverbs six, verse uh, one says, my son, if you become surety for your friend, If you have shaken hands in a pledge for a stranger, you, have, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have, become, have come into you the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself. Plead with your friend. In other words, try to get out of it. Um, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter. You've all seen the animal shows where the gazelle is trying to escape from the tiger or the lion, rather. Um, he says, hey, just like that, you got to run. He says, and like a bird from the hand of a fowler. He says, why? Because you have messed up. You tried to be a good friend by co-signing and you made the situation worse. And there's a couple of reasons why the Bible warns us not to co-sign. One is that it's going to destroy that friendship, that fellowship, because there's a reason why your friend can't get whatever it is they're trying to get on their own. Amen. It's because they, they're not managing their finances well. They've made a train wreck of their finances, and now they're about to ruin yours. And, in, and when I was in banking, this would happen often, you know. Um, your friend needs help getting the car. Hey, you know, man, I need to get this car. My car broke down. Hey, can you just co-sign so I can get this? You know I'm good for it. Yeah, I'll help you get the car, so I'll co-sign for you. All right, great. Well, then your friend can't make the payments on the, on the car because there's what we used to call back in the day a sob story. A sob story. I don't want to say this because somebody here driving a sob. I hate to say that. Um, usually the only place I see a sob is at the mechanic shop, you know, and they're there all the time. That's why they call it a sob story. Anyway, so... Your friend's going to have one of those stories where something happened and you get a call from the bank. Then you call your friend. Hey, dude, the bank just called me. You ain't made a payment in three months. Well, so-and-so. Well, nothing. My, my, now I'm on the line. I'm on the hook for this thing. And now the friendship's damaged and the fellowship is broken because when you come to church and you see your friend over there, you can't even worship Jesus now because you're mad because your friend is, is messing you up. And, and now, you, you know, it's all jacked up now, and it's, it's issues, and so the Bible says don't do it. That's what the Bible just said. And get, here's, here's the thing, y'all. When your friend asks you to co-sign, guess what? The Bible has already given you the out. You can say, no, let's, let's, let's have a Bible study. <laughs> Dude, let's go to Proverbs 6. Let's look at what the Word says. Man, I love you. I want to be your friend until the Jesus come back. And for eternity, if I do this, we're not going to be friends any longer. And if your friend says, if you don't do this, you won't be my friend now, then you realize you don't have a friend. That's right. 
Because the Bible says don't do it because the Bible is trying to prevent that. And the other thing is if you were a good friend, you would say to your friend, if you, if you can't get this without getting a cosigner, there's a problem. Let me help you with your, with your finances. Let me help you rearrange your, your budget um, to see what, what maybe there's something that I can help you with. Maybe I can give you some wisdom and pray with you about how you're managing your finances. You know, hey, uh, by the way, are you a giver? You, 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 give, it, you give to the church? Well, you know, ah, no wonder your finances are messed up because they're not sanctified. You don't have, your money's not holy. Your money is unholy because you took from God what belonged to him. So the rest of it is all messed up. And there's no blessing upon it. So let's start there, you know, and then you can begin to have conversations. And by the way, friend, you do need transportation. I would like to help you. In fact, I got a little bit set aside. I'm going to give you a little bit to buy a used vehicle so you can have transportation because I do love you. Because when you do that, you can walk away from it and there's, there's nothing now. There's nothing because you gave it. So they don't owe you any, anything, and so there's, it can't damage the relationship any longer. You follow me? You know, so you don't want to lend either to your friend. If you give, you're clear. You're in the clear. Um, your heart is good, and you've done something right, and God will bless you for that. And so there's way, it's so practical. Look, God has not called us to just figure this thing out on our own. Proverbs is trying to talk sense into us so that we can navigate properly. Um, and so when your friend asks you to co-sign going forward, you have a responsibility now as a Christian to take opportunity to exhort your Christian friend about biblical things that will help them going forward. Does everybody understand that? It's almost like when, when your friend asks you to co-sign, that's your time to preach. Save your friend and yourself, and don't do it, because that's what the scripture says. And so I just look, being, being in the Bible saves you from heartaches when you apply what God's word is saying to us. Um, be careful. And so as we go on to verse 19, verse 19 says, he who loves transgression loves strife. We already know that. Um, they love transgression. You got to think the language. Well, what is transgression? Is transgression just sin? Well, transgression is sin, but it's a particular type of sin because to transgress means that you, you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. A, a transgressor of the law is somebody who knew the law and decided, made a decision to step across the line and, 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 and go against the law anyway. So if somebody loves that, that means they love doing wrong. And, and so they also love strife. They're looking for trouble. This kind of person is constantly open to it, doing things um, going against God and against the word of God and they love strife as well and we need to be careful because if you remember back up in verse 14 it says the beginning the beginning of strife is like the releasing of water when it comes it's like it's destructive we talked about that last week like a dam breaking okay so we understand that but the second part of the verse is uh, a little bit harder to grasp notice it says he who exalts his gate seeks destruction what does that mean that's hard for us as American believers to sit here and grasp what that means. Those of us who went on a mission trip to Nigeria, um, we kind of got a glimpse of something different because in Nigeria, a gate takes on a little bit different meaning. In Nigeria, because they don't have um, what we have here, a good solid police force that you can call on for the most part uh, to, and, 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 and get help, they don't have that there, you know. In fact, their police are corrupt. Um, like here we can call the police like this morning there was there was a noise behind the church over here very early in the morning it sounded like somebody was trying to break the boot on the on the on the uh, trailer we got over there and I'm here alone so 
Um, you know, I know I, got, I had the two things happen. One, I got my gun. I prayed first. I'm about to go. And, but then the Lord reminded me, uh, call your safety team call, uh, or call Clayton PD before you just go out there. Because we had a guy at a Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque who got killed by these guys for patrolling the, the church parking lot, you know, and by himself. So, so I knew I could call some people and I can rely on that, you know. In Nigeria, it ain't necessarily so. In fact, the police stopped our group one day um, that were behind us. All they wanted was a little payoff. They put the little strip of spikes down. They just wanted a little, they, they, they're corrupt, you know. <laughs> so in Nigeria, families and churches have gates, like metal gates. Like they'll have a, a stone and fence around their property with a real metal gate. We don't have that here. Why? Because you got to lock up at night. Does that make sense? So they have metal gates. So if I was in Nigeria and I was teaching this to the church there, I could make this very simple. Verse 20, I could say where it says in um, uh, verse 19, and he who exalts his gate seeks destruction. Well, in what way? Well, Nigerian family, if you glorify your gate by making it really nice, I mean, it's a really nice gate. It's expensive looking. It's blinged out. And you done really, it's a really nice gate. Well, what you just said to those who rob houses is, there's something in there. <laughs> you, didn't draw, you drew attention to your gate. So, but if your gate looks like every other gate on the, on the, on the, on the, in the little village there, you're not singling yourself out. So there's, you know, you're looking like, oh, this is a normal gate. So it ain't, you know, it, it's no, you're not drawing attention to yourself. Does that make sense? So as we bring it home now, American Christian, we can begin to look at it and say, well, look, he who is, is constantly exalting their position or their status, bragging and highlighting themselves, their position, their status, what they have, things of that sort, whatever it may mean, you're drawing the wrong attention to yourself. You seek destruction. In other words, you are asking for trouble. That's something to think about, isn't it? You know, the studies that talk about those who are actually wealthy, what you find is that the way they live, you can't actually tell that they are wealthy. You ever, you ever thought about that? But it's the fool that highlights everything he has and draws attention to himself because he's a fool and, and he doesn't know any better. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like, I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't use this example, but it's kind of like you would never see me in a pair of Air Jordans. I like Michael Jordan, best basketball player ever, but you will never see me wearing those. It's too expensive. It doesn't make sense. It's like, you know, it, it would be wrong. It wouldn't even make sense for me to do it. It's like, whoa, you know, I shouldn't be the kind of person wearing those things. They're too expensive. You know, this is the way I think, you know, and so a lot of people, though, they will gravitate to expensive things because whatever reason they want it, but... A, if I'm wearing, you know, whatever, ain't nobody going to rob me. <laughs> hey, the dude with the Jordans, I just, hey, he's the one. I'm good. You know, he's the one going to get robbed. You know, anyway, you got to be thinking about that. Because, look, here's what the Bible, here's what Proverbs is really trying to teach us. And I don't know, maybe that was for somebody. All right. But the Bible is teaching us, Proverbs is teaching us about discretion. That's what it's always teaching us about, discretion. Being careful, uh, using discretion. Don't make your gate to, to stand out amongst the gates in your neighborhood, okay? Let's move on. Verse 21. 2020, yes, thank you. And it says that he who has a deceitful heart finds no good. And he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil. And, you know, we've... 
We've covered this over and over and over. Obviously, a deceitful heart, a perverse tongue, speaking things that are perverse, that are wicked. Um, these things are in evil. We understand this. Verse 21 says, he who begets a scoffer does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has uh, no joy. Um, I'll stop at that one for a moment. Um, it's in the word beget, it speaks of, of, of bringing forth a child um, to, you know, so it's speaking to parents here and grandparents. We understand the scoffer is the, the one who speaks arrogantly and mocks God. Um, the fool is one who um, has no wisdom because they, they reject God and they don't want to hear from the wisdom of God. And what the scripture here is saying that those bring shame to their parents and even to their grandparents. And I wanted to pause here for a moment. Just because, you know, w there are people amongst us often who um, they, 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 they have sorrow in their hearts. Their joy is, is hindered a little bit because maybe their, their children aren't walking with the Lord or they, they have a child that's a mocker of the Lord and it, it grieves that parent. It's heavy. And I want to acknowledge that because as brothers and sisters, as friends, if you will, we, we want to care for that, uh, that mom or dad or grandfather or grandmother um, because they desire for their children to know God, and especially as you become grandparents, as you get older, that becomes the most important thing. You get a little wiser and you, you get closer to heaven and you realize the only thing that matters is Christ. And so they come to fellowship amongst us, but they're, they're, they're and they're worshiping. But sometimes that, that, that joy is not there because they're dealing with that thing. They're carrying that child that's walked away or just doesn't want anything to do with God. And so it's important for us to always um, acknowledge that and understand that God cares even more than that those parents do about those children that are away. And the Bible says that God desires all men to be saved and come into the knowledge of truth. And so what, what we want is to come alongside them and pray with them and encourage them. And you, you parents, you need to be praying constantly as well that God would get a hold of the lives of those children because God desires to pray for the power of God to interrupt their lives. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not an Arminian. I just believe in the sovereignty of God. There's hints of both in the scriptures that according to his foreknowledge, he knows everything and he operates in the affairs of men until he draws them to salvation. We need to pray for those parents. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I don't know what's going on anyway. Um, and so we need to understand that, that God wants to work. But I want to encourage you, too, as parents, that one of the things that you've got to do, grandparents or parents, is that you, if you begin to pray, if you're praying for your child to get saved, then you need to get out of the way and allow the Lord to do the work he's trying to do in their lives. Because you might be the hindering factor, you know, because you're trying to be the Holy Spirit. So you constantly contending with them and throwing scripture at them and beating them over the head with the Bible and all of this kind of stuff and constantly telling them all this stuff because you think that you got to plead for them. You got to do it. And you're in the way, not realizing that the power of God to, to bring them to salvation is real. And he knows how to do it. He's really good. Look how filled up this room is right here. And the lobby's full too. Doesn't God know how to save us? Amen. We the ones that get in the way of our children getting saved half the time. So we need to back up and just say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to get out of the way and I'm just going to pray for you to have a work in them. Do your work in them, Lord. If there's something that you would have me to do, then I will. But Lord, if not, send someone else. Reach them where they are and be prepared for God to interrupt their, their lives in any way 
that any means that he has to take, whether he puts them on their back in the hospital, he brings them to an end of themselves, because that's often what it takes for us to come to know Christ. Amen? You may be hindering. It could be the same thing for an unsaved spouse. You might need to get out the way and shut up. We, the Holy Spirit does not need us. He doesn't need us. He wants to use us, but often because we're so emotionally tied to our spouse or our children, we prevent God from being able to do his work. And you need to really pray this morning and, and ask God, Lord, am I in the way? And if so, then show me how, how and what I need to do. You know, and because um, God is powerful. I remember leaving home. I mean, I, I, I went to a, gr a church growing up, you know, and I, I did believe um, but, you know, it, it wasn't a foundation there. And so when I got out in college on my own, living the, the college boy's life kind of thing and living in sin, and the Lord had a way of interrupting and bringing me to a place where I hit my knees without the influence of anyone from my family, and I came to know Christ then. And so people were praying for me, and particularly my grandparents were praying for me. You know, and the first time I ever did a teaching, my grandfather was in complete tears. He was done because he had been praying for so many years. He came to my graduation party, by the way, um, and he was grieved because we were drinking. And when I looked and saw his face, his face was not overjoyed like everybody else's. Oh, your grandson just got a, um, a degree and all because I was still, God, God was still working some things out. But when God had worked a little bit more and it was evident that I was in my faith, in the faith, and then he was overjoyed. It makes a, grand, a grandfather can go to heaven after seeing that kind of stuff. You follow me? But we have to allow the Lord to work in our children's lives as they are out there like that. Now, those of you who have little ones like the, the, the one that just went on the screen, this is great because they still have, they still have the ability to be tied in directly into pouring into the children now. Because when children are young, they're sponges. They're sponges, so now is the time to lay the foundation that Christ is more important than PhD, that Christ is more important than being an engineer, that Christ is more important than being an a, a, a MD, a medical doctor, or whatever the case may be. Now is the time to pour into them eternity so that, that the most important thing that you want your children to grasp before eternity is to know Christ is God, and his salvation is through him only. And then they can get saved and have eternity. Because what would it be like to make it to heaven and your seed, your children, not be there in eternity with you? You follow me? The most important thing, the most important thing to us now that we know Christ is that the ones across the hall and the children's ministry come to know Christ or the youth room come to know Christ. And we don't want to neglect that. And so that's extremely important. Because it brings sorrow. It, it hinders the joy of those who are going through it. And so with, um, we can't really go any further here with every head bow and every, uh, no, we got one more verse. <laughs> I just want to remind you of verse 22, where it says, a merry heart does good like medicine. A broken spirit dries the bones. And it's very important that we, we touch on this, especially if you're a parent of a child that's away from the Lord. Um, a merry heart. We've always heard that laughter is like medicine. And, and it truly is. You know, when you laugh and you're with people you love and you're laughing, it lifts you up. And it does. It really does. Um, and that's temporary, though. But, but how much more a merry heart in the Lord is like medicine. 
because it continues. It continues. Amen. Y'all know that? And so this is why you have to understand if you're in here this morning that, there, that the joy of the Lord um, and having his peace in your life is the ultimate. And it's not based upon situation. It's not situational. In other words, it's not tied necessarily to just your situation. Because if, if, if let's say you're going through something and somebody comes through and they take care of all your problems and now you're happy and that's great. But it, it only takes if you've lived life for any length of time, it it's, it's only takes a few moments later and something's going to happen. Y'all know that, right? And then you got to deal with issues all over again. And so if your joy, if your peace is like that, it's like a balloon, it inflates and then it gets popped, then you're not experiencing Christ. But the joy that comes from Christ, the peace that comes from him makes merry in every situation because it is from Christ. In other words, what you want is in the moment that you're in right now, if you're dealing with something difficult, it's for you. Listen, as you surrender your life to the Lord and as he comes in and he fills you, that you can begin to experience what he has for you without your situation changing. Because then you have arrived at the place that God would have you be because then nobody can ever take it from you again. Because you know where it comes from, and it comes from the Lord. And so you run to him in every situation. So you become the person who, who's, who goes to the Lord every day, and you say, Lord, uh, fill me fresh today with your spirit, Lord God. Lead me by your word, Lord God, and cause my joy to be filled, Lord. Let me have your peace. And you begin to focus on him and not your situation, and you begin to trust in him and, and nothing else. And then you find yourself in that perfect place that place of having a perfect peace that comes from him that no one can steal from you ever again. And that's what we need above all other things. And even if you're a parent here, as we talked about with a wayward child, the Lord is the one who can come in and make a merry heart for you. And it's like medicine. It, it is, it's so wonderful. As we've gone through the book of Proverbs, we've seen that the wisdom of the Lord, walking with the Lord, humbling yourself before the Lord, that is where our literally our health comes from, our mental Peace comes from that. Stress goes away from that. Stress is dangerous. Stress, is, it releases hormones in your body that causes damage and other illnesses and other sicknesses that come from being stressed out, that comes from being filled with sorrow, um, anxiety, depression, all of that stuff is bad for you and it's making you sicker and it's, 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 it's destroying you. And then when you give it all to the Lord and you call out upon him and you really come to know who Christ is and he comes in and he, he, he shines light in darkness and he begins to clean that up and, and things change then because then you become complete in him. Even if your situation doesn't change, you become complete in him and you, you have what you need then to endure anything that, that, that comes your way. Amen. So let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for being with us today, Lord God. And Lord, I know that you, you love us more than we, we can even imagine. And so as we prepare to leave this place today, Lord, I pray that you would go before us, that you would guide, that you would give all the necessary things, the gifts of your spirit where needed, whether it, Lord, is a discernment or word of knowledge or wisdom, whatever it may be that we need, Lord God, all things that we need have been supplied to us by your spirit. Well, help us this week to walk in your spirit, to be victorious in your spirit. Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice, even watching online, that this week, that as the enemy comes to attack, whatever pops up in this world, Lord, that you would grab a hold of our hearts and minds, reminding us that you are our source, that you are our strength, 
and that you've called us to live holy before you. And Lord, I pray you would have a mighty, mighty work in all of our lives this week, Lord God. And Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together. God bless you all. Mm -hmm.